Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Well, I get the, uh, the joy of bringing the last portion of the series in Daniel, probably the toughest four chapters in the Bible to, uh, to go through. And uh, as we started kind of looking at uh, the life of Daniel and looking at that, we were, we were trying to, to figure out how to really break up this study. And so it ended up being four chapters, four chapters, and four chapters. David, of course, did the first four, and Matt, the second four, and, and then there's me. So we're going to pray right now uh, and ask God to, to help. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are a gracious God. Lord, I ask that every word that's spoken would be from you. Forgive the sins of this speaker who is at best uh, inadequate. Lord, I ask that you uh, bless this service, reveal your word in ways that are powerful. In your name I pray, amen. There comes a time in every person's life when they have to make a choice. And Daniel was one of those people. Uh, We're going to look at Daniel's life, and and we will include the last four chapters in this, but we're going to look at Daniel's life from a little different perspective. We want to look at it with the idea of what did God want from Daniel? Uh, What was expected of Daniel? What what did Daniel have to face? And, And then how does that really relate to us? There comes a time when everyone has to make a choice, and the choice is, who will you turn to when things are out of control? Uh, I remember um, when uh, I remember when I was in the Dominican Republic. I I had the privilege of of working in um, a number of different countries with orphans, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I got to travel uh, extensively. I, I, I worked in 53 countries over the years, but about 16 that I worked heavily with orphans in. And one of the things that we would do is we would take teams in and we'd, we'd begin to work on projects. We'd go to areas that there had been a disaster or there was real need, and we'd, we'd go in sometimes right after the water receded or right after the bombs stopped falling or the military withdrew or right after things got to the point where everyone else had abandoned it and we would go in and we'd look for kids who were abused, abandoned, and neglected, oftentimes orphans. And you'd find them, and and, and there was a hopelessness about the situation. Um, Many times, the the kids would literally be starving, and and you'd go and you'd start what was called the learning center. You'd bring kids together, and you would teach them, and you'd provide a meal, and you'd try and have them stay in homes in the communities during that time. Uh, as you progressed, you'd, you'd build then a school that would be the center of outreach, and out of that would come a church, and out of that would come medical, and out of that would come lots and lots of things with the idea of not exporting these kids out of the countries where they were in, but raising them up to become the new Christian leaders in, in the countries that they were living in. And that's what we did. We were in a project in Dominican Republic in an area called Las Brisas del Este, It's not too far from the big airport in Dominican Republic. Uh, Somewhere around 200,000 children and adults living there, 53,000 children who are called street kids. 
they roam. Uh, and their parents, if they have any, uh, work usually away, and the kids are left unattended. Many of them don't have parents. Gangs and prostitution and drugs runs rampant. And so we chose that as one of the areas that, that we would spend time and we'd work. And so we began working with kids. And one of the things that we had to have was a place that was safe and, and that was dry. And so when I first went, we found a piece of property and it was, uh, it was a disaster. The, the layers of trash we calculated were probably four feet deep. It, people had just used the lot and thrown junk and trash on it and it was four feet deep. There was an old chicken coop on it, and there was a tiny little metal shed on it. And that was the humble beginnings of what would be uh, seeds of hope, <laughs> Similias de Esperanza, in that area. We got some groups interested, and they wanted to come and help. And so we thought, well, we will start by building a building. Dominican Republic gets hit with, with earthquakes all the time, uh, many times uh, a year. And sometimes some of them are very, very serious. And so I remember as I uh, was there and we were ready to begin this process of building, uh, we had to find a method of construction that would hold up to the harsh earthquakes, uh, the harsh uh, hurricanes. And so uh, we found a foam core system, foam panels covered with concrete. And as American volunteers, we went and began to construct. In that time of choice of what are you going to do when things came, get out of control came when we got a news alert that there was a hurricane bearing down on us and we had just stood up foam walls for what would be the school, the church building, and everything else. And the hurricane was coming and it would be there in two days. We were told that we would have to go inland, that even the area that we were in was in severe risk of flooding. Our hotel that was built up very high where we were staying said, you won't be able to go out. In fact, we have shutters and sandbags that we're going to put up. And yet we knew that building had to get built. God was going to have to do something powerful or that would just disappear in the wind. I remember the group that was there and we began praying and we said, Lord, we need something to happen. We've got to have everything that we need to get a roof on this building and make it safe so that when hurricanes come, these children, instead of being afraid that they're going to drown, will have a safe place to go to, the place of refuge where they can stay. And so we, we started working harder and faster, but several things went wrong. The first thing went wrong was there were electrical lines everywhere. No electricity, just electric lines everywhere and we couldn't put the roof system on with a crane. We had planned to, we had built nice metal trusses that we were going to be able to, to, to put on, but we couldn't access it with a crane. The second thing that was going to happen is our generator quit. We couldn't find a generator anywhere. We rented one, it kept stopping, and, and we couldn't find one anywhere. The third thing was the hurricane was on its way down. I remember getting everybody together and having what we called the holy huddle. We got all the people together, kind of like a football huddle, and the word was this. You cannot, if you, if you can't pray and believe that God sent us here for a purpose, then you need to keep your mouth shut. I don't want to hear any, God, if it's your will, don't let the building blow away. Don't want to hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry. God sent us here. He didn't send us here to have a building blow away. And so we took people who 
had never experienced that, had never experienced believing God. And the first thing we said was, God, we need a generator. We need you to provide a generator for us. We had tried to rent them. There was none available. We had tried to do everything. The first amazing miracle God did at that point in time was we heard a pound on the metal gate, bonk, bonk, bonk. We slid the gate open and there was a man with a generator that said, do you need a generator? (laughs) What? Are you kidding? We've tried everywhere to rent one. And he wheeled the generator in. Incidentally, we ran that generator all day long. It ran flawlessly in the evening. We went to shut it off and I heard somebody yell, Scott, Scott, come here, come here, Scott, you gotta come here quick. And I went and looked and then we called everybody around. We looked and watched a generator running without a spark plug all day long. No spark plug. The next thing that we needed was a roof. We prayed and we said, God, we don't know what we're gonna do on this roof system. They were supposed to have a clear path for us and the city was supposed to do that and there's no path. Half a day later, we got a bang on the door. Truck, semi-truck pulled up. Foam, panels, roof system. $30,000 roof system. I called the company and I said, "Um, when we ordered our walls, we didn't order the roof system because it was $30,000. We just couldn't do that. He said, oh, um, we kind of miscalculated, it's included, and our whole roof system showed up. Last thing, (laughs) hurricane. We're working as fast as we can, but we can literally see the beginning effects of the hurricane coming. We go back to our hotel room after 14 hours, a long day, and we say, okay, God, the generator, the roof, you're in this. You got to do something. And little kids and adults stood up and wholly huddled and prayed and said, God, please help. The next morning, we had our little microbus show up. The hotel manager literally held onto my arm and said, Please don't do this. Don't go out. You don't understand. You've not been here during a hurricane. Please don't do this. I talked to all the people. God is in this. We're going to do this. We go to the job site. Everything is barricaded. Roads are closed. We have to go through a back way to get there. We work all day. We get everything secure. We get almost done that evening, just the last few things, and we look up, and, and there's no hurricane yet. We go back to the hotel room knowing that one more day, and we'll sew everything up, and the hotel room staff is standing out in front. And they said, Scott, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. And they put on the news, the weather station. Yes, the hurricane was supposed to hit in X number of hours, but it was like a puff of wind hit it and blew it. And it went 90 miles to the south and west and went around and hit Cuba, and we are hurricane free. It's never happened before. (laughs) I actually have the weather tracker. I videoed it. There are times in our lives where we have to decide, what are we going to do? Who are we going to rely on? Who are we going to go to when things are out of our control? 
You know, Daniel faced this in many occasions. The first thing, and one that you may not know, was actually before Daniel was carried off in exile. It's fascinating for us to see because, uh, oops, let's see. Daniel was living um, in, in, uh, in his home country, but in that home country, there was a lot of chaos. King Zedekiah was 21 years old. He was the king. He was the, the last of several bad kings. A king would be there, and then uh, Egypt would send somebody in and take the king and set up a puppet monarchy. And then uh, that king would decide to rebel against Egypt. And so uh, uh, at that point in time, then Babylon went in and set up a puppet monarchy with a king. And Hezek, uh, Zedekiah was the last of those kings. He rebelled in, against Nebuchadnezzar. And it says the description, actual verse description was, the people hardened their hearts, the chief priests hardened their hearts, and they performed all the abominations of the heathens and mocked God's messengers and despised the prophets. That is the environment that Daniel grew up in. We know according to scripture that he was part of a royal family or at least part of the nobility. He was from an upper class, but the people had turned their backs totally against God. It's fascinating because we find other prophets' writings about these things. Jeremiah is the one that, that tells about this time leading up to the captivity. So Daniel had to make a choice even before he was put into exile, what am I going to do when chaos is all around? Kings changing, battle going on, terrible things going on. You know, the next thing that he had to decide was, um, excuse me, after the capture. Now, you understand when they describe this, this time frame, they describe it as a time of absolute horrific uh, destruction, People were killed. Uh, it was a very violent time. Some people were carried off, the nobility, and, and some of them were carried off, but there was a ton of destruction that went on. It was a time where God basically turned the, the people over to, to destruction because of the choices that they had made. Imagine being part of the nobility and then being jerked out of the middle of that, knowing that you're getting ready to be conquered, and then being carried off into um, captivity, what would you feel like? Would it be easy to be resentful? Would it be easy to settle into absolute dismal oppression, uh, depression? Would it be easy to be absolutely ferociously angry at your captors? But Daniel and a couple of three of his friends, it says, chose to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They also chose to serve their captors well. There's some interesting verses um, that you'll find in all of this. Uh, you'll find, uh, and you'll have to excuse me because my iPad is not exactly synced with that, so I'm going to advance the iPad there. You'll, you'll find that uh, some of those choices that they had to, to decide on was, what will be um, my response to being brought into the court of the king. 
Remember that Daniel was selected as one of the nobility to be raised up in the ways of the Babylonians, of the Persians, to be taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, to be coached so that he could become a public servant. Along with that came things like food. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal to say, uh, well, I'm just going to eat at the king's table. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't sound like a big deal, except for you have to understand the Babylonian culture. First of all, the meat and food that was given to them at the table was offered in sacrifices to pagan gods. You say, well, who would ever eat food offered to pagan gods? Well, actually, Israel offered food, or ate food offered to Jehovah God. It was part of the process. If you go into the sacrificial system where Israel would do sacrifices, some of those sacrifices incorporated them eating part of the sacrifice. Part of it was burned, part of it was consumed. Uh, Passover, that's part of the Passover. You eat part of the sacrifice, part of it is consumed. The blood is applied. And so this practice of eating part of sacrifice was not uh, something that was bad. It was part of worship. Here was the problem. The worship wasn't Jehovah that they were worshiping. It was the pagan gods of the Babylonians. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, we can't do that. We're going to purpose in our heart. We're going to determine that we are, despite the circumstances before captivity, during captivity, despite the circumstances, we are going to do what's right before the Lord, our God. And so when food was brought to them, they said, look, could, could you just give us vegetables, fruits and vegetables? We'll be happy with that. You remember the story, the chief of the eunuchs said, well, you know what? If you look bad, if you look meager, if you look scrawny, guess whose neck it is? Because I'm the one supposed to be taking care of you and the king's going to examine you. And if you look bad, it's me that gets in trouble. And Daniel, with great wisdom, said, look, I'll tell you what, I propose a test. Let's set aside a period of time, and if you'll allow me to obey my practices and not eat this food, if you'll allow me to, to eat my vegetables and eat my, and, and then look and do a comparison. And if we look okay, then you've got your answer. It's a good thing. If we look bad, no problem. We'll do whatever you require of us. And of course, as the time came, all of those people that were going to be public servants were set out before the king. And the king looked, and Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach, Abednego, all had the, the stronger physical characteristics. They, they seemed sharper. They seemed brighter. In fact, in one verse in chapter 2 of Daniel, it says they were 10 times brighter more brilliant than anybody else that was around. Daniel was in captivity 70 years serving. And there had to be a point where he would decide very quickly, who am I going to go to? What am I going to do in these times of difficulties in my life? What will be my go-to? Will calamity dictate how I live? Will calamity dictate what I believe? Will calamity dictate uh, the way that I worship? Now, here's the thing. You say, well, that was Daniel. Every one of you, every single one of you have that same choice 
to make. You may never be hauled off in captivity. You may never face a a life and death situation. Somebody may not say, I'm going to kill you if you can't interpret my dream. But you are going to face that moment when you get the phone call in the middle of the night and one of your kids has been in a wreck. Who are you going to go to? You might get that note left on your dresser. I don't love you anymore. Who are you going to go to? You might get that, Dad, I know you raised me in church, but I just don't believe it. I don't get it. Who are you going to go to? You see, every one of us are going to face things. Every one of us are going to have these tests, these difficulties. And Daniel, the catch phrase here is Daniel determined in his heart. What have you determined in your heart? Maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe it's never come up. If it hasn't, it will. There'll be a time. What have you determined in your heart? You know our story. Most of you have been here. We've been here a long time. You know we face some terrible things. You know that we face those moments when we were told Joel would not live. You know that we faced that phone call in the middle of the night when we were told your son was killed in a car wreck. Within a very few days afterwards, received the phone call while praying in the well, your dad died. Who are you going to go to? You see, the problem is that there are so many options, but there's only one solution. There are so many ways that you can go, but there's only one God that you can go to. What have you determined in your heart? We've picked a few things to determine in our heart. One, God never makes any mistakes. Never. The situation might be bad. It might seem terrible. I may not like it, but God doesn't make any mistakes ever, ever. I can have confidence in that. I can go to that. God's never late. (laughs) That's another one. Boy, it seems like it sometimes. It sure seems like it sometimes. When you're there praying on the edge of your seat, God's never late. His timing is always perfect. We can trust him. What do you go to? That's the first thing. You're going to have choices. You're going to have choices. The next thing that we see with Daniel is what I would call the service test. It's fascinating to see all of what Daniel had to to do. Um, He actually served, and I'm sorry for this list, um, uh, he had to serve eight different kings. You know, we read the book of Daniel, and we hear of Nebuchadnezzar, and we hear of Cyrus, and we hear of Belshazzar, and so on. We hear some of these names, but do you realize that there were eight different kings that Daniel served under in 70 years? Yes, some of them were very notable, but all of them were there, some of them for just a couple of months. And here Daniel, as a captive, as a servant coming in and out of the, the highest position in the land, had to go through transitions as each of these people did 
terrible things. Some of them are going to try and, 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 and burn him uh, or, or put him in a lion's den. Others are, are going to try and have him killed with all of the other magicians and soothsayers. Some of them are going to, to try and overthrow him. There's all kinds of stuff going on. But what did Daniel have to do? He had to make a choice. How am I going to function and serve in the situation that I'm in? It's interesting as you think about that for just a second. There are some great scriptures. Ephesians 2.10 is one that I love to use. And if you're in the men's Bible study, um, unmerciful plug for the men's Bible study, 9 a.m. Actually, we start uh, a little before that. Uh, Down here in one of the classrooms is a phenomenal men's Bible study that goes on where iron sharpens iron. Men get together, pray, live life, and encourage each other. It's powerful. And if you need a men's group, you ought to be there. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Men's group, raise your hand real quick. Yeah, you look around the room, you see a few of them. All right, sorry for that uh, commercial. Ultimately, we all have to serve in the situation that we're in. I went through a lot of my life waiting for the next step. If I just get finished with school, then I can. Okay, I finished with school. Now if I can just pay off this debt, then I can. Okay, when I raise my support, I can be a missionary. Then I can. Okay, when I get this language school finished, then I can. Okay, language school is finished. Now when I can get moved to... And we go through life waiting for the next thing. Well, just when I retire. Well, when the kids just get out of the house. Well, when I get over this limp. When my knee's better. (laughs) We go through life waiting for the next thing. Ephesians 2.10 says this, I have made you what you are. Did you realize that that the 23 uh, pairs of chromosomes that you're made up of can be traced in through seven generations of your uh, grandparents and God picked and chose each of those things and put them together very, very specifically so that you would be exactly what you are, the color of your hair, the color of your eyes, your sports ability, your ability to speak or not to speak, your artistic ability, your ability to tinker and design, your all of those aptitude ability things that maybe you have in your father or maybe it jumped a generation and it was in your grandfather or your mother or your grandmother or so on. All of those things God chose and he put them into you as a special package that is you, his masterpiece, designed with perfection. You say, God designed me with perfection. You have no idea. You haven't seen me in the mirror. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, God designed you perfectly. The next part of the verse is important. Ephesians 2.10, I made you what you are. I created you in Christ Jesus. You say, where are you reading from? It's Ephesians 2.10. I'm using the God's word translation. I created you in Christ Jesus. What is that? Well, not only did God make you and design you, but he packaged you with all kinds of experiences, all kinds of training, all kinds of spiritual gifts, if you know him. All kinds of special things that he added to this perfect perfection that that he designed you as. You got to understand it like this. It's a collision point, okay? You got all that he made you colliding with all the preparation type things, spiritual gifts, good and bad experiences, training, 
spiritual gifts. And they collide together. That makes you. Now here's the the end of it. Probably the most exciting point. I've made you what you are. I've created you in Christ Jesus to live your life filled with good works, which I have prepared for you to do. One more time. I made you what you are. I created you in Christ Jesus to live your life filled with good works, which I have prepared for you to do. That means there's collision points where all that you are is colliding with exactly what God wants. And in that moment, you are there for a purpose. And with his power, you can do amazing, phenomenal things with his power. Because you were designed for a purpose. You were given gifts to amplify that. And then God created moments in time. One time I spent a little bit of time tracking some of those moments in time. People that God had given me the opportunity to be with and spend time with. God spends sometimes hundreds of years moving people from different continents and then moving them around the state so that at that moment in time, that person collides with you and all that you are with God enlightens them. Wow. Now, what does that do to, well, maybe a little bit later I can. What does it do to that? You see, the reality is that we each have service. We each have service that God plans for us. We each have a, a point where God wants us to do specific things, and it's, always not, it's not always pleasant. It's not always the best moments. It's not always the job that we want. It's not always the neighbors that we want. It's not always the in-laws that we want. And I, caveat, I have wonderful in-laws, okay? So... In case you're watching, I love you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's not always great. There's going to be hard bosses. There's going to be hard neighbors. There's going to be hard relatives. There's going to be hard children. There's going to be hard times. But who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? Will you do what God gives you to do faithfully? That means that in the midst of the, the king of the, or the, uh, the, the, the lead of the guards, the, the head executioner, coming around saying, I'm killing everybody with your job position. Anybody that's a wise man, I'm killing because you couldn't interpret the king's dream. Instead of saying, ah, what am I going to do? Jumping out a window, trying to run away. What did Daniel do? Lord, Give me wisdom. Can I talk to the king? King, let's talk for a second. Set a date and time, and I will interpret your dream for you. Because of his character, because of the way that he had lived, the king said, okay. Daniel went back with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they began to pray, and they said, Lord, please spare us. Give us the interpretation of the dream. And then Daniel had a vision And what ended up happening? Phenomenal thing ended up happening. Daniel was able to tell the king every bit of his dream. And it was prophetic. And it was powerful. 
And the king said, you are by far the most brilliant and raised him up to the position of great power and authority while he was a captive, while he was in exile, after his parents and family had most likely been murdered, while his city had been burned. What did he do? He decided, I'm gonna serve where I'm at. I'm here for a purpose. My life has meaning. God has a purpose for my life. So I'm gonna look around in the midst of this difficulty when I'm out of work or when I'm whatever, I'm gonna look around and see what has God got for me to do today? And it might be the guy sitting on the side of the road that's out of gas, and it might be the lady struggling with the four kids in the grocery store line whose baby tips over the the display of whatever. It might be who knows what. It might be the friend that God brings back to your memory, but God has a purpose and a plan for you, and all that you are is designed to collide with that so that he can be served and glorified. And out of it comes great blessing. Question. Will you do what God says faithfully, even in the tough times? For 70 years, through eight kings, with threats on his life, Daniel said, I will do what is right. I will serve faithfully. It's fascinating when you look at some of those kings and the wickedness that was there. For the sake of time, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. The next one is the pride test. The pride test. Every one of us face times where where pride gets in the way. I will tell you that's something that I, I have to beat down, pride. It doesn't have to show itself in self-promotion. Look at me, I'm the biggest, the greatest. It can be subtle. It can be, uh, I refuse to listen to you because I don't think maybe you've got what it takes to teach me. It can be, um, I'm a little better than you are, so let let me help you out here, brother. It can show itself in terrible ways. It can be when we drive to that street corner and the guy puts up the sign, will we work for food? And we shake our heads and we say, you know what? You know how many jobs are out there? Everywhere I go, there's a job somewhere. How come you're not looking for a job instead of here, we'll work for food? It takes its shape most of the time in the form of condemnation, where we position ourselves to look better than those that are around us. It's fascinating to see Daniel and to kind of look at some of what ended up happening in his life as far as the pride test For me, I remember very quickly uh, one of the most recent pride tests I had. I left one company and went to another company. I left missions work because uh, Joel uh, needed a lot of uh, extra medical work, and I needed to have a really good insurance policy for medical. And so I went to work for a company. And when I left that company, I went to a new company. Uh, with that went a promotion, and with that went um, being the new guy, and everybody wanted ideas and looked for ideas. One of the projects I had was that I was to go through work orders for this company that had come in to homes, people that had moved into homes, and then had an issue in the first 90 days. 
89,000 work orders for a two-year period of time. And I remember going through and trying to figure out how to sort them, 89,000. I remember trying to figure out how, how, to, how to figure out what to do. And I, I was racking my brains just trying to figure out even how to get a hold of this and trying to make pivot tables and all kinds of stuff that I didn't have to do in the past. And I remember getting two weeks into the project and finally having good progress. And I turned my computer off. And the next morning I went up and everything I had done was gone. And what was worse, it hadn't uploaded onto the server so there was no backup. Somehow something had gotten corrupted. And I remember my evening phone call with my boss. I'm the guy with the answers. I'm the VP of continuous improvement. I'm supposed to have the, the way to make it right. And I looked at him and I said, man, I, I'm screwed up. I got nothing. I did all this work. I spent weeks and weeks on all of this work. And he said, well, let me see if I can find it. And he's a whiz. And he went through a few different things and he could see a little bit, but it didn't show all the work that I had done. I started again, and I worked hard, 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 long, long hours, and went through and, and saved it and knew it was all saved and backed up. And I turned my computer off, and it was gone again. And it happened three times, hundreds of hours worth of work, until finally, months later, IT discovered there was a glitch in the system, and it was doing some sort of a weird update on multiple servers, and it made perfectly sense to, to them, and it sounded like Russian to me. <laughs> but I had to face my boss and say, you know what? I got nothing to show. I've got all this work, and I got nothing to show. And it was so hard. And I had to say, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I had to watch him look with me at doubt the first time in all the time I, I had presented things. Did he really do it? I had, to, I had to keep a cheerful face. I'll do it again. Hard, hard. God vindicated me. The same thing happened on his computer two months later. And that's how we found out what was going on. And then they found out that all the work had been done and God somewhat restored. But you talk about a beating in your pride. Every one of us faces the pride test. Who's going to get the credit with the good things that happens in your life? Who's going to get the credit when things go remarkably well? Who's going to get the credit when things are wonderful, when you have the big idea, when you save the millions of dollars, when you, when you hit the home run, when you bake the perfect meal, when you uh, are the model parent, mom, husband, whatever? Who gets the credit? Daniel had to go through that. Multiple times he went through it, and he went through it in some of the most excruciating ways. It's, it's very interesting when you look at it and see. Uh, you see in Jan, Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses 27 and 28, and I truncated this because it's a long passage, but Daniel is trying to answer King Nebuchadnezzar who says, 
I'm going to kill everybody that can't answer my dream if you're a wise man. And Daniel asks for time, and we already talked about that. And Daniel goes to God with Meshach, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, God, please help us. And God reveals to Daniel in a dream in the night, and this is Daniel's response. Daniel answered, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets them up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness. He continues on. Daniel goes to the king and he says, I have the answer for you. And this is how he does it. Daniel answered the king, the mysterious, the mysterious, uh, the mysterious secrets which the king has demanded, neither the wise men, enchanters, magicians, nor astrologers can show the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what it is that shall be in the latter dreams. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than anyone else living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king. Fascinating the king's results because of Daniel's pride. The king answered, Daniel, of a truth, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets and mysteries." Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? It is a choice every one of us has to make. As we become successful, and this happened to Daniel multiple times, as we have the answer, is it easy to say, got you covered, king. <laughs> I'll handle that one for you. Or do we give God the credit that he's due because anything that happens that is great and good and positive, he's the giver of all good gifts. Do, do we give him the glory for everything that happens? Fascinating. Daniel's response there. You know, there's a few verses that we want to look at real quickly 1 Peter 5, 6, therefore humble yourselves. That humble in that verse means denote, lower yourselves in your own estimation. Demote or lower yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time he will exalt you. James 4.10 says something similar. Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your lives significant. Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, ranked lower than others. And he who humbles himself keeps a modest opinion of himself and behaves accordingly will be exalted and elevated in rank. Last one, Proverbs 15, 33, the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord, excuse me, the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord brings instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Daniel had to make a choice. Who is going to get glory? And for 70 years, Daniel chose to give God glory. We don't have time to go through all the verses, but verse after verse, Daniel's asked to give the handwriting on the wall to Belshazzar. Uh, he's asked to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. He's asked uh, to do things for Darius. And every time, he says, look, I'm nobody special, but I know somebody who is. 
I have no great abilities other than what God gave me, but I know the God of all ability. And I'm telling you, he is the one that deserves the glory. Next one, very quickly, the promotion test. And we're running out of time very quickly. So we will, again, truncate this. How will you act when you're promoted? If you follow giving God the glory, if you go to him in the times of trouble, if you follow what he does, you will receive promotion. It's a biblical principle. God does promote. What happens when we're promoted, though, depends on how far we get promoted. It's fascinating to see. There are people who change pretty dramatically when they receive a little bit of authority or promotion. Uh, A lot of third world countries, if you look at the police department and you look at the gentlemen on the street, um, they are not like honorable police are that most of our police here are. Many times they're there to self-serve. They'll pull you over and ask for a bribe and tell you you did the worst thing in the world. And you say, what was it? And they said, well, uh, you have a taillight out. (laughs) And you say, "Uh, okay, uh, let's go look at it. And you go back and the taillight's on. Well, it was out when you went by me, you know, that sort of thing. Ideas to get some money. Unfortunately, that's because they oftentimes don't make enough money to support their families. But they use that power in terrible ways. Oftentimes, when you see somebody that gets promoted into a a place of leadership in churches, if if they're not ready, what happens? Before long, they kind of look at me and they get a little bit puffed up. How are you going to handle promotion? What are you going to do when you're promoted? It's interesting to see. I remember getting hit with this really hard in Haiti. Uh, I was actually attending this church here. Uh, I went to a place in Haiti that uh, right after the earthquake, and we were going through the area and looking for orphans and starting a program. And um, I was asked by a pastor who was in the area there, uh, would you go and pray with this family at this house? And I said, well, certainly. Um, well, you know, where are they? And he said, oh, they're, they're right over there. And it literally was from where I'm standing to the corner of the building. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about them so I know how to pray. And he said, oh, um, She's the, the wife of the witch doctor. And uh, we've noticed a lot of weird things happening. And would you be the one to go pray? <laughs> I'm the missionary. <laughs> You're supposed to have something special. You're supposed to be the one with the power. You got to have the answers. I remember my first encounter with a Haitian witch doctor situation, a man with me from the church, we went and we knocked on the door. And as we knocked on the door, the lady came and she was so thankful. And we started talking with her and then we said, we'd like to pray with you. And the moment we started praying, the buildings all around her house, little tin shacks, started vibrating, rattling, like tin rattling in a heavy, heavy, heavy wind. And then the chickens all started going crazy like there was a fox in the, in the hen house. And then the goats started bleeding and there was this cacophony of animals going berserk and the buildings banging. <laughs> you realize pretty quickly, yeah, yeah, we're not in Kansas anymore. 
That'll take the funny out of any situation. What do you do? Well, ultimately, it goes back to the very first thing. Who do you go to when things go bad? You see, you can never get too big for the fact that God is the answer to everything. God is the one that created you. God is the one that has a purpose for your life. I remember as we prayed, and we got to a point, and the man that was with me was literally shaking, and I was shaking. And then we said, in the name of Jesus, we've been asked to pray at this house. We claim the shed blood of Jesus over this house right now. Be quiet. It was like crickets would appear. I mean, you couldn't stop things that fast if you had tried. If somebody hit the mute button, it was crazy. You see, pride would say, well, man, I'm a pastor. I've got the answer. And yet the reality is we are all humbly dependent on Jesus Christ, our Lord. What happens when you get promoted? How will you act when you get promoted? We're going to flip through the last slides very, very quickly. The last one is the revelation test. What will you do with what God reveals to you? As you follow God and as you walk with him, there is one principle that is true and firm, uh, one of many, and it is that my sheep hear my voice and know me and do my will. If you're a believer, you should hear from God. If you've ever been told you can never hear from God again, you've been told a lie. God has relationship with his children. He spends time with his children. He wants to talk with his children. He wants to talk with them. That's not you giving a to-do list to God or giving him his assignments for the week. It's him talking to you and you talking with him. Him illuminating his word to you and sharing and speaking and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, go, go pray with somebody. Hey, stop here. Talk to that person. And what you do with that revelation becomes a pathway. God entrusts more as you steward what he gives you. Daniel 2, the king had his dream. Nobody could interpret it. Daniel was able to. Daniel 4, again, a dream. Same king who had forgotten all the lessons that God had told him. Daniel interprets it, says, you're going to be humbled, O king. Daniel 5, new king, Belteshazzar, handwriting on the wall. And Daniel reads it and says, this is what's going to happen. Daniel 7, his own visions. Daniel 8, Daniel 9. And as Daniel works his way through and shepherds what God has for the people, the position, the place, the service that he is at. Whether he's been elevated or a new king comes along that doesn't know him and he's demoted. Whether he's young and still licking the wounds of captivity. Or well, he's old and feels forgotten. 
He stewards the revelation well. He does what God tells him to do. And he's honored with one of the most amazing things that happens. God lays out for him the end of his plan for here in the world. He goes through and he talks about how long kings will be there. And he goes through and he talks about how how long the tribulation will be and all of the different things. And he lays it out for Daniel in an amazing, powerful way. Initially, when I was asked to teach, I, I was going to go through this. But it would take a month to even scratch the surface of what is there. The overarching truth is this. Daniel was faithful with what God had given him. You say, well, that's kind of a weird sermon, Scott. It's kind of an unusual way to kind of look at things. We can learn a lot from Daniel. And everything that he faced, every category you will face. So, I want to kind of draw this to conclusion with one thing, and I have five more slides and we're out of time. I want to draw this to conclusion with one thing. Have you got your Daniel on? (laughs) There was a song when I was a kid, Dare to Be a Daniel. Anybody remember that? If you grew up in some circles, you probably heard it. Dare to be a Daniel. Have you got your Daniel on? starts with who do you go to first. And I will tell you, if you don't know Jesus, it's hard to go to him. You can go to him the first time. You can start that relationship because he loves you. He is ready and willing. He calls every single person's name. He says, come, I want relationship to you. He did that by paying for every single sin that was ever committed first and paying for them to such an extent that there could never, ever, ever be condemnation for those sins if you accepted the free gift of salvation. That was his plan. Spend time with me, walk with me, I'll empower you, we'll do this thing of life together. You'll have some crazy things happen, but I'll be with you and you will be amazed at what God does, at what I do. Be amazed. But it starts with going to him. Going to him when times are bad, going to him when times are good. Have you done that? Who do you turn to? Are you serving faithfully? Are you blooming where you're planted, knowing that God puts you there for a reason? There's those moments of collision. Are you dealing with pride as it creeps up? Is he getting the glory? Are you stewarding revelation well? Doing what God says to do when he taps on your shoulder and gives you the word. It's his plan for your life. It's his plan for your life. Let's pray. If you're here and you say, you know, this all seems just so crazy and incredible. I just can't imagine this. Maybe you need to know the Jesus who does stuff like this all the time. If you're here and you're in that position, I I would really ask that you would come and speak with us. We would love to take a Bible and show you really quickly how God planned for you to have relationship with him. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, "Ah, man, I tell you what, I've just gotten off track. 
I don't go to him first. It's not me to go to him first. Maybe you're here and that's your position. Maybe it's pride. But if you're here in that situation, the prayer team will be here. There'll be prophetic people out afterwards. There's different ministries available to you. Do us a favor, come. We're going to just pray for a minute and there's going to be a little bit of music. And if you want to talk to somebody, come. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for the life that he lived. I thank you that he chose to do what was exceedingly well. It's mentioned time and time again. Daniel excelled above every other. Daniel did better then. And Daniel was 10 times more. He did that because of his closeness to you. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you help us understand and know that it is all, it is all about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.